Hey, if you need a Bible, if you'd raise your hand, um, we'll bring a Bible to you. Um, right now, just raise your hand up. We're going to bounce around. So normally I like to tell you where we're going to start, but it's going to be all over the place. Um, we're talking about prophecies, so we're going to be bouncing between the Old and New Testament. Um, but you can put a finger in Isaiah and a finger in Matthew, and that'll help. Or maybe it's on your phone, and you can just flip real quick. So anyway, well, um, I was hoping to stand up here and gloat today and had ordered some green and gold drapes to hang. I was going to call them Christmassy, um, but that didn't work out for me. So anyway, um, let's see. Oh, I want to tell you real quick, at the end of this, at the end of when I'm done, um, we're going to have communion today, um, and so we'll have some people that I'll serve it to, and then y'all will serve it to each other like we've done in the past, and I think it'll be self-explanatory once you see it, but basically, if you're kind of in that quadrant, you're going to go back there. If you're in that quadrant, you're going to go back there, and if you're in the front quadrant, you're going to come forward, okay? You just kind of go and come the same side. All right, I wanted to kill, I wanted to kill all the logistics right now. Um, and we have gluten-free crackers if you need them. Um, and if you want to go full-on gluten, then you just tear a piece off of the loaf, all right? All right, I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this morning. I just agree with Jay's prayer. Thankful for this community of believers. Thankful um, that we get to worship together we get to serve together. We get to be the church in this neighborhood together. I pray right now that as we consider you and how you told us you were coming and then you came and you fulfilled everything that you said you would, that you would increase our confidence in you, that we would trust you. Um, Lord, we're going to be in your word, and you say your word is living and active. And so I just pray that you would meet us in it this morning and that we would leave here with a greater confidence that you are who you said you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I'm fascinated by these prophecies. Um, a few years ago for Christmas Eve service, I talked about them, and uh, I just think it's fascinating that hundreds of years before Christ came, there was this prophecy that he would come. And we're go what we're gonna do over the next... Um, three weekends, or the next three Sundays, is we're going to talk about three different prophecies each Sunday, and kind of talk about what was said, and how it was fulfilled, and what the significance is for us. So that'll be kind of the format that we run through. But this is about what God has promised, and what he has done, um, and that he's revealing himself to us. And this has really always been his story with us, is that he's always been revealing himself. I love Psalm 19 that says, um, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. That day after day they continue to speak and night after night they make him known. And that's essentially more of what's happening with these prophecies. It's God like proclaiming he is who he said he is. And when Christ came and spent time with a group of disciples and then ultimately gave his life as a sacrifice for us um, and ascended and sent these guys out to tell the world and that's captured in, I want to start in 1 John 1. And what I want you to hear is God's heart that we would know him. And that's what these prophecies are about, is that he has a heart that we would know him. But 1 John 1, in verses 1 through 4, say, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, 
whom we have, seen, we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. And I think this is the point of these prophecies, that it's being proclaimed to us that God wants us to be in relationship with him. And so kids are here today, and I want to tell the kids, I want to be sure you get this. When we say prophecy, it means only that God, or one of his, through one of his prophets in the Old Testament, said hey, this is going to happen in the future and you will know it when this happens. So he kind of says, hey, expect this and here's how you'll know it happened. And so that's what we're talking about today. There's three different occurrences. There's actually over 300 of these occurrences, but um, some have, the time has come for them to be fulfilled and some are yet to be fulfilled. Um, But they're important for us because God is saying what he's going to do, and in over 100 instances already, he's actually already done it. And ultimately, they're to increase our faith. Um, Lee Strobel, um, many of you have read his book, Case for Christ. He's written other books, Case for Faith, written too many books for me to start listing. But he was a journalist. If you don't know his story, um, he was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, very bright. His wife came to faith in Christ and he um, decided that he was going to disprove it because he was frustrated that she believed in Jesus. And as he investigated Christ, he ultimately came to faith in Christ. And um, he was talking, I read a quote this week where he was talking about prophecies. And he said, the odds, the astronomical odds for all of this to happen um, are similar to if you took one-inch tiles and you put them over the whole expanse of earth, all dry land. One-inch tiles were covering every bit of dry land. And you painted one of them red, and you put it in there, and then you said to somebody, okay, for your whole life, you can wander the earth, but I want at one time for you to bend down and pick up a tile. And for you to one time pick up a tile and pick up that one that's painted red, that's, what, that's similar to what the odds are that all these prophecies came true. So it's this astronomical God-sized thing. The Westmont scholars, there's a professor years ago named Peter Stoner, and he, he and his group of scholars tried to determine if just eight out of eight of these came true, what are the odds of that? And they came with like 10 to the 17th power which is crazy. And so I just want to like set the table as we begin to look at these prophecies that this is this, it's its own miracle that God has offered these prophecies to us and that they've been fulfilled. Our first prophecy is that there will be a forerunner to Jesus. There would be somebody who would come before Christ and proclaim that he was coming. You can see in Isaiah 40, verse three through five, Say, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. 
fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So this was spoken by Isaiah to encourage Jerusalem and the Israelites because they were in the process at the time that it was given of being occupied. And they were about to go into exile in Babylon and and the prophet after telling them all the things that bad that were going to happen to him, in Isaiah chapter 40, he begins to encourage him and say, yeah, but this good thing is going to happen and it's going to be great. And that's when this comes out and that there will be a restoration coming, this ultimate restoration by a Messiah. It was probably written a little less than 700 years before Christ and John the Baptist. And that's his big idea is that there's a Messiah, there's a Savior who's coming. And you'll know it because there's a forerunner who comes before him and says, hey, he's coming. It's imminent. This was the fulfillment of it is by John the Baptist. And it was first recognized by his dad, Zechariah. And I mentioned that last week. But Zechariah, when he was told by Gabriel, the angel, that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby, this baby was going to be John the Baptist, he didn't believe it. And so he had to be silent. He was basically sentenced to silence for the whole pregnancy. Um, and when he did speak, he sang this song that we find at the end of Luke chapter 1, where he says, and, and again, Zechariah is a priest, and he was serving in the temple when the angel Gabriel came to see him, and so he knows the scriptures, and he understands their meaning, and he understands what's been prophesied, and like for context, nobody had heard from God for 400 years before Gabriel begins to visit with Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and begins to tell him, hey, here's what's about to happen. And so John the Baptist, after seeing his son born, this miraculous birth, and he and Elizabeth's old age, he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. So he knows exactly who his son is and exactly who Gabriel's told him he would be. And then John the Baptist later is born and doing ministry and the Jewish leaders come to him and they want to know, who are you? And then we pick this passage up in John 1, 19 through 23, where John says, I'm that guy. He says, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we were expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. So I just want to like give you a sense of how remarkable this is that 700 years later, seven centuries later, that what was prophesied has actually come to pass. If If we go back 700 years from today, we would find ourselves in the 1300s. Right, kids? I did my math right? Okay. Anyway, and so um, I looked and wondered, like, what was the significant achievement at that time? And I don't know if you know this, but the clock was invented. The mechanical clock was invented 700 years ago in the 1300s. And I thought, huh, that means until the clock was invented, did the, I was wondering, did they know there was 24 hours in a day? Did they know there were 60 minutes in an hour and 60 seconds in a minute? And I don't have an answer for that. I would assume 
somebody had some idea of that, or maybe that's when they invented it. I don't know, but the, there was no clock. There was no telling time. It was either day or night or early morning. You know what I mean? Like that, it was just bulks of time. And um, I just, I wondered if we pulled one of those people out from the 1300s and we gave them this idea that they're going to be clocks on your wrist and they're going to keep track of time, not mechanically, but digitally. Like what they would think about that and how that would blow their circuits. I mean, not, I'm not even talking about like an iWatch. I'm talking about the $27 at Target Ironman that will be able to be a stopwatch and will also be able to keep track of time and will be able to set an alarm. I mean, can you imagine like what they'd think? And so if you shared all that information with somebody and, they, and put them back into the 1300s and they said, there's going to be a wristwatch. <laughs> what people would have thought, right? It's kind of crazy. You think of it, we, it's just something we take for granted, right? There's clocks everywhere, in your car, on your wrist, in your house. And thankfully, most of them are digital so that when daylight savings time happens, you don't have to go around your house resetting them all, right? Like they're all so smart now, they know, which is good, because I don't. But anyway, although it's not the same thing, it gives you some idea that like 700 years is a massive expanse of time. And you take somebody's framework and you offer this thing that there's going to be this guy who comes before the Messiah. And then in Zechariah's life, he actually sees it happen. What he had studied and heard and thought and hoped and prayed for, he sees it coming to pass. And so here's what I find to be significant about this. There's a couple things. One, that God holds true to his word. Two, that John the Baptist knew who he was. Right, like that's pretty uncommon for somebody to understand that my ministry is totally based to prepare you for this guy's ministry. Like that's not really how we operate. Typically, if you have a following, you do everything you can to keep that following and you're not so interested in the person who's coming behind you to take over that following. Right, I think about King David and King Saul and how when David began to gain popularity and began to become what everybody saw was like, oh, he's the guy how jealous Saul got and that Saul tried to kill him. And that's more common, honestly, in how we feel about people who come after us than this gracious way that John completely understands. It's described really well in John chapter three where he says, I'm not the groom. I'm the groomsman. And my job is to watch the groom and the bride come together. And, and goes on to say in John 3.30 that, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And so here's this 750-ish year old prophecy and I love the authenticity and, the tra- and like just the, that John the Baptist knows who he is and he fulfills his role and by doing so fulfills this prophecy. Okay, the second thing, the second prophecy we're gonna talk about is this prophecy that Christ would be called Emmanuel, God with us. We find it in Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, this is the same time frame. It's written from Isaiah. It's around 700, 750 years before Christ. And what I want you to consider 
is this. There's a huge amount of sacrifice that this child would come. Right? That Jesus left heaven and left this perfect relationship that before time began, before we catch God in Genesis, the Father, Son, and Spirit lived in a relationship that, was, that is so incredible that the whole point of our existence is that we're being invited into this relationship. And so here he is in this relationship where he's totally complete and has everything he needs, and yet he's willing to leave that to become a baby. Not just to come and to walk among us and to deal with sin and strain and anguish and hurt, but to become a baby and be at the mercy of teenage parents. And, and that I find to be really significant. It's not what kings do, right? If we look at monarchs around the world, that's not how they operate. They don't give themselves up to be one with their subjects. But our king did. And it cost him everything so that he could gain what he wanted, which was us. And um, I just think it's good to stop right here and point out that just in the same way that it cost Christ something, it cost us something to follow him, right? When we choose to follow him, it cost us something. It's not free. It's not without consequence. Um, I love the verse in Matthew 10, verse 39, that says, if you love your life, or if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, this is Jesus talking, you'll find true life. And I just want to say that it, it, you know, it costs something to follow Jesus. It will cost you. It may cost you in your career. It may cost you in close relationships with people that you knew before you followed Christ. A lot of times the Lord will redeem all of that. But sometimes you know, we shouldn't be surprised if it cost us something. And the only note or footnote I'll put on that is it's going to cost you something to not follow him too and to do your own thing and to go your own way. And so I think sometimes we give following Jesus a bad rap because it cost us something. But it all cost us something. Amen? So the fulfillment of this prophecy that he would be God with us happens when the angel appears to Joseph and he tells him to stick with Mary. And for the background on that, if you don't know that story, Joseph is engaged to be married to Mary the mother of Jesus, and an angel has visited Mary and said, you're gonna have this child supernaturally before you're married. And so Joseph in that day would have been very scandalous for him to have a pregnant wife. And Joseph hadn't done anything wrong, and quite frankly, Mary hadn't done anything wrong, and yet she's pregnant, and he's trying to think of a nice way to break it off and to slip away, and the angel comes and visits him in a dream and says this, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so as promised, Jesus came. And I want us to think about him, who he was and is, and how he was and is with us. Is this title is God with us, Emmanuel. And I want you to think about what that looks like. John 1, 1 and 14 say this. 
In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Meaning that Jesus has always been. If you go on to read those verses, it talks about all creation was through Christ. And so he's always been, and he's always, so as long as you've been and I've been, he's been, okay? But he goes on to say in verse 14, later down in the chapter, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so it's this idea that he who was from the beginning with God, that he became a human and he became a child and that he lived among us. He became flesh. Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus as the visible image of the invisible God. He came, per John 1.14, to be among us. And he wasn't just with us then, but he promises to never leave us. So it's like this prophecy that he will be God with us is continuing to be fulfilled. Not only was it fulfilled that he came, it continues to be fulfilled, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, called the Great Commission, he talks about all authorities given to me, go make disciples. And then he says, and I will be with you always. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul says that he's convinced the love of, that we're never separated from the love of God, either by death or life or angels or demons or our worries about tomorrow, our fears for today, or it just lists a whole bunch of stuff right there, but it says, I'm convinced that you'll never be separated from God's love. And even more so, like his presence with us is when he's leaving and he's giving the farewell discourse and he tells them in John chapter 14 that, hey, my spirit is gonna be with you. Though I'm going back to be with the Father, I'm gonna leave the spirit the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. And so he continues to be God with us um, and fulfills this prophecy. And it says in John 14, 16, and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And so that's the promise fulfilled, right, that Christ is with us. That's what I find to be like significant and meaningful about this is that God has promised way before Jesus came that he would be a God that's with us. It's not about a religion and about you doing the right things. And that verse that I, the, you know, the quote that I read from the Paul David Tripp book right at the very beginning, the idea is that we have a heavenly father who wants to restore us into a relationship. He doesn't want us to follow a bunch of religious rules. He wants to walk with us day by day and moment by moment. He was, is, and will be with us. And what he desires is our heart. He desires that we would, walk, we would want to walk with him. Like when I used to, you know, talking to the, either the basketball team or the football team, you know, I try to put it in their terms and I say, it's like when you want to ask a girl on a date or to go to a dance, I mean, if they go to dances, but whatever, like, you don't want the girl to go with you to the dance. You want the girl to want to go with you. You see, like, that's how the Lord feels about us. He wants us to want to be with him. That was the whole point of why he came and was God with us. And we now, it says in Hebrews and Ephesians, can go right into his presence. So great 
prophecy that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And we can experience that today. Our third prophecy, the last one for today is this, that his throne is an everlasting throne. That he'll have an eternal, has an eternal kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 say this. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I want to read on. There's a, I feel like this is also in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, this very same thing that this eternal kingdom is promised. It says, for a child is born to us. This is a very common Christmas passage. Child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So his throne's eternal. And like, if you're a headline reader or if you immerse yourself in stories about what goes on in our government and other governments, like, doesn't it sound good that he's gonna be the king that rules forever and ever and that he's just and fair and honest and not corrupt? And it's not, you know, it, it's, it's just a whole different kind of kingdom, right? And it's this idea that I think sometimes we get busy and we bounce from thing to thing and thing to thing and, and, and we forget to do what it tells us to do in Colossians 3 to set our sight on the realities of heaven. And it's this where there's this eternal kingdom that's going on and that the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army is the one who's making it happen, which is really like the best insurance plan ever, right? To know that he's the one who has it and he's the one who's making it happen. Gives me a sense of comfort, calm, and trust to know that this thing is real. And I think, like this is what I want to say, is I think that's the whole point of these prophecies, is that over 100 have been fulfilled exactly as they were said they were going to be fulfilled. And so that if he's gone, some people say 109 for 109, how much more confidence can we have in the 200 that are yet to come? And, and so I want to talk about that for just a little bit. But here's the fulfillment of this one. is Gabriel, when he was sent to Mary 550 years later, he says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Jesus refers to himself. Luke 21, 27, if you want to write that down, John 1, 51. And then in Matthew 26, 64, he says, Jesus replied, you have said it. In the future, you will see the Son of Man talking about himself, seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. This idea of coming on the clouds of heaven is an idea in their minds that had to do with, like it represented God, that he's in this Massive amount of clouds, right? That clouds totally surround him. If you, in Isaiah chapter six, in the very beginning of that chapter, 
Isaiah talks about having an encounter with God. He has like a vision or he goes into the presence of the Lord and he describes his throne. And he talks about that he's it's surrounded by clouds and these beings are flying around. And he hears them singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then if you fast forward through Christ's life and through the end of his apostle's life, you've got John exiled on the island of Patmos and he's given this revelation. So hundreds of years later, eight centuries, let's call it, he has this vision of the same throne room, the same place where God is, and it describes almost exactly what Isaiah described almost a thousand years earlier. This same throne surrounded by these beings where people are praising him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so what I hope you hear is there's this massive sense of eternity, right? Romans 8, 33 and 34, um, Paul's talking about our security as believers and what we can count on. And he says, you know, will God condemn us? No, that he's the one who gave us right standing. Will Christ condemn us? And he says, no, um, he, you know, he came and lived and died and is now seated next to God on the throne, pleading for us. And so kind of laced all through scripture, I want you to get this idea that there's this kingdom and there's this throne and that that's where the Lord is sitting and ruling over all things. Philippians 2, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And so this kingdom is complete and total and all things fall under subjection of it. And, and why is this significant? Well, it gives us a hope that we have a future that's safe and secure and we have a king who's on the throne. And no matter what's going on in your circumstances, your daily life, you, could, you can know that there's this everlasting throne and that you belong to him and he's made you right with him and you can live with him forever and ever and that his throne is real and it's everlasting. And I think all of these prophecies were given to strengthen and bolster our faith that we might trust in him and expect this to happen so that when we go through the hard things in our lives, right, and we struggle to make sense of it, we can know that all things will be reconciled with him. I want you to, to listen to Revelation chapter 21, the first four verses, where he talks about what it's gonna look like for us in that time. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And this is John, I'm sorry, by the way. Just exactly what I described a minute ago, exiled to an island of Patmos, given this revelation, and right the second to last chapter in the Bible, he's wrapping it up and he's saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. Amen? But I want you and me to pray for this and to count on this and to say, 
Like I, I say sometimes when things get particularly bumpy, I'm like, hey, Lord, my future's in your hands. Like it's just good for me to remember that, that, there, that the one who promised something 700 years before it happened and made it happen is the same one that's gonna make this, this scene in Revelation 21 happen. That he's beat astronomical odds to make everything happen he said would happen and he's gonna beat astronomical odds to make the rest of it happen too. That we can be confident in that, we can trust him and we can just tell him, my hope is in you. I see what you've done and I trust you. And no matter what, our futures are secure with him. Amen? Let's pray together. And when we come out of the, Jay, if you want to come up and the folks that are going to serve communion um, while I'm praying, and then we'll do communion right after that. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now grateful, so grateful that you have done this incredible work. Um, it's not just a work, it's works, Lord, that you have accomplished so much to just an overwhelming amount to give us the confidence that we need. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here who's struggling to believe that they would latch on to one of these prophecies and search it out this week and be like, wow, you really did make that happen, that they would see the truth of what we talked about today and that would have a personal impact just in their lives. I pray that for all of us, that we would go back through and we would consider what you've done and that it would just draw us closer to you and that we would look with expectation to what's coming. And we would know that though our days don't go exactly like we want them to go, we can trust that you're at work. Lord, I pray you bless each person here. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.